0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So even though I think the big talk after that game was ripping the bullpen, and I understand why, because Joe Eli Rodriguez is not that good. Because when Joey Ellie Rodriguez comes in to face a lefty in Freeman, a lefty in Muncie, a lefty in Gallo, a lefty in Lux, and can't get the job done, then you say to yourself, why are you here? You know, why are you on the roster? I know that you want a lefty in your bullpen, but if you suck, why are you there? But that's not why the Mets lost. I think we all need to acknowledge that. You know, in fact, the Mets... Got out of that jam in the seventh inning. Tommy Hunter actually did a pretty good job. You know, Michael Givens actually did a pretty good job. They couldn't hit. And I think what was frustrating about their lack of hitting in the opener of this series is that it kind of continued from what happened against the Rockies and what happened against the New York Yankees. What was also really frustrating about not hitting in the opener of this series, look who shut us down. They got shut down. I don't want to say Andrew Haney shut him down because the Mets got three runs against them, but they could have gotten more against Andrew Haney. They get shut down by Heath Henry. Are you serious? They get shut down by Alex Vesia and Evan Phillips. Okay, they're good. But then ultimately, you get shut down by Jake Reed, the former Met. Now, a couple of first guesses on Buck, because I thought Buck had a miserable game in the opener of the series. And I want to acknowledge that, despite the fact the Mets ended up winning this series. There are moments where you've got to pinch hit for your pitcher slash catcher because the Met catchers are basically pitchers in the old National League. And I remember talking to you about this, Pete, a few weeks ago, that the Mets need more depth on their bench because since they are a platoon team, they're going to have to pinch hit for McCann or Nito, maybe even early in a game. And then once that catcher comes in, you may need to pinch hit for them again. That's why, in a perfect world, Francisco Alvarez being on this roster made sense. Obviously, Alvarez is banged up right now. It appears like the news is actually pretty good and that he may not need surgery. But their offense from catcher is so bad that, yeah, sometimes you have to pinch it early in a game. And when it's the sixth inning and you're trailing three to two, and you've got two on and two out in the sixth inning, and James McCann, who struck out his first two at-bats and looked miserable doing it, and you have a bench that features Daniel Vogelback, Tyler Naquin. We thought Brett Beatty, but I guess at that point he wasn't available because he was hurt. We didn't know that at the time. Why not use your big weapon there? Now, he ended up pinch hitting for McCann in the ninth inning. That's when Vogelback grounded into the double play, but if you use Vogel back in the sixth inning, and let's say Vogel back comes through with a big hit, you may not need him to pinch it in the ninth inning of this game. So, and I heard Buck's reasoning after the game. I disagree with him. And I think it also hurts that, look, the expansion of rosters only gets you to 28. We don't live in a world anymore in which you could have 37 guys on your roster because then things would be a little bit easier. You could bring up a third catcher, obviously Michael Perez, who looked pretty good. And then, yeah, you can be really aggressive in pinch hitting for these lousy hitting catchers. But I think at this moment, when you only are carrying two catchers, you've got to be aggressive and smart about when you go for it. And I really thought in the sixth inning of that game, trailing by a score of three to two, that was the moment to do it. Buck didn't do it. Maybe he was fearful that they would go to a lefty if he went to Vogelbach so it would lead to kind of a bad matchup. And at that point, the only righty on your bench is Tomas Nito. You're not necessarily going to do that. But that one frustrated me because I think in the sixth inning of that game, it was at least a moment. It was at least an opportunity.
1: I have a question for you because I know we talk about like McCann Nito being in dead spots and, and it, it's true. They really totally are, are, are dead. But how early is too early? Like, Say if it's like the, the, the second inning and you got like bases loaded, two outs, and McCann's up, are you thinking about already doing a pinch hitter because you know how the likelihood of him getting a hit in that spot is not likely? I mean, that, is that, that's got to start <laughs> to be consideration, no?
0: Yeah. No, it gets tricky. I agree with you. It gets really tricky because everything I just said about the sixth inning, you could argue in the second inning, you know, especially if you're trailing in the game. Like, let's say you're down 3 nothing early. You can look at that at-bat in the second inning and say, hey, that could be the most important at-bat of the game. I I understand a manager not pulling the trigger that early. To me, the sixth inning is really where it starts to begin because now you're looking at, you know, we're getting down to your final 9 or 10 or 11 outs. In this case, you're down to your final 10 outs. I, I would just... I would structure this roster differently in terms of this. Number one, Mark Vientos would be up here. Even if he isn't replacing Darren Ruff as the right-handed inning DH, he gives you another right-handed option off the bench. So you can be aggressive in pinch hitting. But the thing I would do, and I've mentioned this before, is that the Mets are built in a way in which they pitch really well. And a lot of their starting pitchers go deep into games. And Buck has a circle of trust of relievers that he uses. Which means you don't need eight or nine relievers out of your bullpen. You don't. Like, they called up Adonis Medina. And I understand why. Why not another arm? But I think when you've got 28 roster spots now, because of roster expansion, I'd lean towards two extra position players off my bench not necessarily needing a pitcher who I may not use. I mean, think about it. We've seen guys in this bullpen go a week without pitching. We've seen Trevor Williams go a long time without pitching. Now they're thinking about using a six man rotation, which they're at least going to use this turn. Excuse me, this turn around. But when you use a six man rotation, you could push Chris Bassett a little bit more. You could push Max Scherzer a little bit more. So, If I had a bench, off that was structured differently, like I had more guys coming off my bench and a third catcher, then I think you can be more aggressive in pinch hitting early in a game. It's tougher to do that when you don't have as deep of a bench.
1: No, And now you're wasting the spot. I hate to say waste because he did steal a base today, but the Terrence Gore on the team now, it's like you have a guy who you literally, he's not going to hit the ball, but he can steal a base. Well, I'll tell you
0: that. That's valuable though, man. I really, I think it like to have one guy who's literally got one job and that's get on base and run. And he did it. Now, ultimately, it didn't matter because the Mets were not were unable to drive him in. But again, if you look at the, your roster and say, I can live with one less arm out of my bullpen and I've got five or six guys, maybe even seven coming off my bench, then you can live with it. I, the the Mets are, I know we're in the American League world now where there's a DH, and I'm, I'm certainly getting used to that, but the Mets have a lineup that features enough guys who should get pinch hit for. There are a lot of lineups in Major League Baseball where nobody would ever be pinch hit for. It's like, well, what the hell do I need a bench for? I don't need a bench. I'm never going to pinch hit. There were a lot of Yankee teams back in the day that were like that. This Met team is not like that. You've got a DH platoon. you got a third baseman that still can't hit, and you've got catchers that can't hit. So you've got three spots in your lineup. I know third base, they don't ever really pinch hit. But you definitely have two spots in your lineup in which you're going to use guys off your bench. So is it ever too early to pinch hit? I think the the way the game is going will also dictate that. I think that'll play a big part, big part of it. Uh, as far as the second game of this series is concerned, this is what I love about Jacob DeGrom. What I love about Jacob DeGrom is when you look at that game he pitched on Wednesday, he threw more curveballs than you'll ever see. He threw more changeups than you'll ever see. And he got hit hard. Yeah, he really did. He got hit hard. I think as someone who is spoiled watching Jacob deGrom, your eye test would tell you that Jacob deGrom was average on Wednesday night. That's fair to say. I think the eye test would tell you that. And yet here's Jacob deGrom's final line. On Wednesday night against the Dodgers, the best offense in major effing league baseball. Seven innings, three hits, one run, nine strikeouts, one walk. That is a great pitching line. There's no other way to look at it. That is a tremendous pitching line. But if you watched him, whether it was the hard contact, whether it was, oh my God, he issued a walk to Trey Turner. Whether it was, obviously, Brandon Nimmo saved his ass, which we'll throw in there as well. But how about Will Smith in the sixth inning? He came very close, to hitting a two-run home run. He gave up enough hard contact. He issued a walk that it's fair to look at Jake's performance and say, eh, you know, I've seen Jake pitch better 80% of the time. And yet seven innings, three hits, one run. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And I said this to Beningo. I was on the phone with Joe uh, Thursday morning because he hates DeGrom for some reason. I I haven't been able to figure it out, but he clearly does. And I said to him, look, I know you want to see him throw 100 pitches, as do I. I think we all do. He was done after 93 pitches. Now, sometimes we blame managers for being too obsessed with pitch counts. We can sometimes be too obsessed with pitch counts where we can see a low pitch count and say, well, he's got to pitch longer. If you watch the Grom, first of all, Brandon Nimmo makes one of the great catches you'll ever see. Probably the signature play of this series, maybe the signature defensive play of the year, whatever. It's an amazing play. Not going to belabor it. We've all seen it after he strikes out Gavin Lux, even though you got eight, nine and one coming up and his pitch count is low. Were you that, and I love Jake, were you that confident about sending him out there for the eighth inning? Because he, like I said, Hoff, he was hittable. So, I wouldn't send him out there because his pitch count's low. You should send him out there if you think, hey, I've got confidence he's going to go get me three more outs. I didn't exactly have that. I thought Jacob DeGrom was
1: done after seven innings. Well, again, the only other thing is, though, you have to look to see what the bullpen situation is. And again, what you just laid it out, Adovino has really been reliable, and then Edward Diaz is amazing. So if you believe in them, then you can make that move. If you don't feel as comfortable, I'd almost prefer a spent 93-pitched DeGrom for one more inning.
0: Yeah, look, if the choice is a spent Jacob DeGrom or Trevor May, we're all going to say, <laughs> give me a tired Jacob DeGrom. I think what's important is that it appeared DeGrom was tired when his pitch count was in the 70s. And I think by throwing 100 pitches, by throwing 95 pitches every six days, hopefully he doesn't tire out when he's in his 90s. So, now, I'm not saying necessarily that it was him. I guess I jumped to the conclusion of him being tired. If you listen to DeGrom after the game and certainly watched him, it was just bad location which you could say was because he was tired or it was just mechanics, simple mechanics, simple. I didn't execute, which was Jake's answer for why he gave up so many hard hit balls. But I think the more he pitches, the more he's going to throw in the mid nineties and get over a hundred, maybe the more he can go deep into a game. And we won't be saying to ourselves after seven and 93 pitches. All right, fine. Take him out. All right, fine, Garrett, just move them on. But to your point about what was available, you knew Adovino was available. You knew Diaz was available. And so far, look, Diaz and Adovino have been great. It's really tough to kill these guys. I think we're all waiting for the Edwin Diaz blown save. I heard a lot of people say, and I didn't subscribe to this. I wasn't negative like this. And like I mentioned, I was in the ballpark for it, that because Timmy Trumpet performed Edwin Diaz's theme song, that somehow that meant he was going to blow the game. I heard a few people, I heard Loogie say that in his show he did with Trista Crick. Joe said it to me, bro, I I had this terrible freaking feeling because Timmy Trumpet. And I'm thinking to myself, look, Edwin's going to blow a game. He came very close to blowing the finale of the series. Very, very close. But I don't think that he's going to be affected by Timmy Trumpet playing the trumpet. And if anything, the result was the opposite. Remember, he comes into a one-run game against Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, and Will Smith, the th- three of the better Dodger hitters. Obviously, if Mookie's in that conversation, it's the three best Dodger hitters. And he, he barely broke a sweat. He was great. But this negativity, and I, I look, sometimes I'm negative. I admit that. But that negativity of thinking, Timmy Trumpet's blowing a trumpet, that means Diaz is blowing the save? I don't get
1: that uh, off. Ev, listen, you know, I, I wasn't there uh, yesterday, Wednesday, but watching on TV, the electricity, the Nimo catch, everything was working in our favor. And you're right. You know what? In typical fashion, we've seen M.G. Chavez go make an amazing catch, and then they don't win. Uh, you know, they don't make the yeah. – the, 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 the calls Beltran strikes out. But we've also seen the Baxters of the world make a crazy catch – and then we get a no hitter from Johan Santana. So we have to start thinking of those way. We have to start thinking of the positive way, and that's what it comes down to. I'm sick and tired of the negativity. Because you're right. I, I saw Joe the other day too. I still see a little negative tone with the Mets. It's like, oh, we? What? We're watching an amazing season right now. They, you're right. This year, this series means nothing besides two more wins <laughs> in the column. But it was an incredible. Like that atmosphere was ridiculous. And to even think for a second. That that was going to be a blown save. I can't even believe that because I I was I that's that's can't happen anymore. It <laughs> wow. can't.
0: It's look. Diaz is going to blow a save. That's I will make that prediction to Stop you. Stop that. Stop. No, but no. that's not that's not being <laughs> negative. It's just most Reality. human beings who are great are human. And Diaz has looked human, by the way. Over the last few weeks, to his credit, he hasn't blown a game. But he's been shaky. He's had some shaky performances. He's had more shaky performances recently than he had for a while. So I think ultimately he's going to blow a save. I don't think this is going to be a Brad Lidge season, even though Diaz has already blown saves. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's going to continue being perfect. But I also don't think that the live musical performance was any indicator of it. If anything, the live musical performance is where sports is going. It is about entertainment. And I've heard a lot of owners say that. You want fans when a game is over to say, I had a great time. I want to come back. And for me and you, it's just win. It's as simple as that. But for a lot of fans, it's more than that. And what the WWE has done so well at WrestleMania, they always have like a live musical performances, performance of one of the intro songs. So like back in the day, Triple H would come out to, you want to play the game? You got to play it like a live performance by, you know, Whatever artist did it, I forgot. Motorhead. Motorhead, thank you. You're welcome. So I can see that in baseball. I can see it where let's get a live performance of the walk-up music of our cleanup hitter or a live performance of, in Diaz's case, our closer coming in, you know, or here's a live performance of Simple Man as Jacob the Cromworms up. I don't think it's crazy. I, I think it's great entertainment. You're right, the electricity in that building for... Really, all three games was outstanding. And it's to be expected. The Mets are in first place. They've been in first place most of the year. I think sometimes it takes a while for fans to say, I got to go to the ballpark. Because, you know, at times the Met attendance was a little disappointing. I mentioned that about that brave five-game series. But this week, the place was packed. Now, there were Dodger fans there. I acknowledge that. Good amount of Dodger fans there. But I think the Met fan is enthused. How can you not be? There's a team right now that as we sit here today is 84 and 48. This is the second greatest regular season we've ever seen. They're still on pace to win 103 games. My dad hates that phrase, on pace. What does it mean? The Mets have maintained their pace all season long. They've been in that 103-win pace. That's part of what's been amazing about this season. They've been incredibly consistent. They haven't had a bad month. Think about it. Look, go through the Met month by month record as we enter September. I happen to have it in front of me. In April, they were 15 and 7. That's a 682 winning percentage. In May, they were 19 and 10. That's a 655 winning percentage. In June, they were very average. They were 13 and 12. Actually, the worst month they've had by far. That's a 520 winning percentage. They were outscored by 15 runs. Weird to think about that, but that actually happened. In July, they were 17 and 8. That's a 680 winning percentage. And in August, they went 19 and 11. That's a 633 winning percentage. They have been the model of consistency. But yes, this place was electric. The crowd was into it. It was really, really a fun series. And, you know, an important series because every game matters when the Atlanta Braves are breathing down your neck. The other thing that I thought was really impressive is that Pete Alonso was awful in this series. And I love Pete. We did a comedy event with Pete a few days ago. I think Pete will admit it. He breaks his bat sometimes when he's frustrated, as he did again in this series against L.A. But Pete Alonso in this series against the Dodgers, went 1-for-11 with a single. He was 0-for-4 with runners in scoring position. He struck out off the top of my head five or six times. He was bad. Think about that. The Mets' best, most important offensive player was dreadful in this series, and the Mets won the series. And how they win the series, and this is the part that should excite us because this is what the Mets are going to need to do to win a World Series. As much as we bitch about the DH or bitch about the offensive catcher or talk about what this offense has done for two weeks, here's what makes the Mets special, and here's what they're going to need to do to win the world freaking championship. They played three games against the best offense in baseball, and they gave up eight runs. That's it. They shut down the best offense in baseball, and they did it with their ace. They did it with their number three, and they did it with, well, not that Taiwan Walker was great, but a guy who may not make a postseason start. And their bullpen outside of Joely Rodriguez was mostly really good, led by Adam Otavino and Edwin Diaz. That's the formula. The formula is you got to score just enough runs. You know, you can't get shut out, but you got to pitch. And they pitched.